Now, if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 15. If you have your phone or any other way to get to Luke 15, I want you to uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. In just a minute, I'm going to bring you a message that I'm entitling Prone to Wonder. Prone to Wonder. P-R-O-N-E. Prone to Wonder. I'm going to take you into a story. A story that Jesus is telling. Jesus often did this. He would speak in what we call parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's true stories that were told, but there were spiritual truths told through those stories. Today is one that we call the prodigal son. Now, this is a story that has been taught throughout the centuries. In this story, it teaches something that a lot of us some way let it pass by us and we don't catch on to the purpose of the story and what we can learn from this story. So today we're going to have an opportunity to look at the scripture and to find out why is it that today so many people that claim to be believers are wandering around like drunks in a fog. They have no idea what church is. They have no idea what the Bible is. They have written it off as something I cannot understand. We're living in a day where we're seeing a drifting of many and some outright rebellion of others. And so the Lord put these stories in the scripture so that we could learn from the story. So I want to read to you from verse 11 and I'll read through verse 24 and of the book of Luke chapter 15. And I start with the black letters and he said, and then it goes to red letters because that means Jesus is now speaking. So listen as I read this brief story. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them, to the two boys, his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country and listen, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk, the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, note that phrase, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no more worthy to be called your son, and make me as one of your hired servants. Let me just stop there to note the wording now. He's a son of the father. He's, notice that he's a son. He's just not any boy. I want all of you to know that if you're a born again Christian, you're a child of the king. 
You're a son or a daughter of the father. So stay in context. Verse 20. So he arose, he came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost. Now he is found. And they began to be merry. I never preach a sermon that I do not have in the back of my mind the thought that it may be the last sermon that I ever preach on this earth. I've been preaching for 60 years. And it, at one point, I will preach my last sermon. I don't know when it will be. I've had many of my uh, peers that have passed away suddenly. I've had those that have over a extended period of time. But it's appointed unto the person who wants to die. I always remind you of that. This may be the last time you'll ever speak. So what would you say? Number two, I'm also aware that I am preaching oftentimes to those that are hearing their last sermon. Of all the sermons, whether there's a lot of them or a few of them, you will one day hear your last sermon. I know some of you are saying, well, praise God. I hope that'll come soon. But uh, I hope you'll take it a little differently this morning. Because a sermon is nothing more than a person that's been called of God to try to tell the people not what he thinks, not what he learned in school, but what the Holy Spirit has written in the inspired and Aaron infallible word of God. And to tell the people what God said, tell the people. One of the things you will notice when you're underlining the Bibles, that all of the major prophets of the Bible, over and over, and the Lord spoke unto Jeremiah, and the Lord spoke unto Ezekiel, and the Lord spoke unto Isaiah. And here's what a prophet was in the Bible. A prophet was a person that God chose to speak to the people through that person. That person wasn't sharing their creative thinking. They were sharing, thus saith the Lord. And when you read those books, you will see if any one of those prophets said anything other than what God told them to say, he called their hand on it and said, you better go back and tell them what I told you to tell them. He told Moses the same thing. You see, God's word is for God's children when it comes to understanding what it means to walk with God, to hear from God, to follow God, to serve God, to be prepared to meet God, how to interpret the scriptures. The Holy Spirit that wrote this book comes to live in the heart of a believer. And that Holy Spirit that wrote the book tells us how to interpret the scripture. And so every single one of us must understand that if you're a Christian, Christianity is a way of life. It is not a theology. It is not believing certain facts, but it's living a certain life. That we are children of a living, resurrected, soon coming Lord Jesus. Now, when we do that, we can either do it of our own accord or as many have done, they ended up, yes, God's children have ended up in the hog pens as they chose along the way to go after the gods of this world for whatever reason. It was the times, it was a generation, it was whatever. It was just, this is when I was born, this is where I live. And so they start drifting off. 
And so when I announce a, a topic like this, somebody might say, you know what? I don't know if this thing is going to be relevant to me. I think I might just kind of get up and leave because I'm not sure. Well, let me just see if it is. I'll ask you some questions. This message is going to be real relevant to you. If number one, you can point to a time when you love the Lord more or served him more faithfully than you do right now. If there was ever a time, might've been when you were a teenager. It might've been when you were in college. It might've been when you were single. It might've been when you were young. But was ever a time when you loved God more and served him more faithfully, gave more faithfully of your tithes and your offerings than you do now, then this is going to be relevant to you. Another thing is, you know that you ought to read the Bible more and you ought to pray more. You know that. You just don't do it. You just don't do it. This is going to be relevant to you. Number three, if I'm talking to anybody, whether it's by television, radio, or right here, and you feel overwhelmed by the demands upon your life, your school, your family, your work, your studying, if you are in that category, this is going to be relevant to you. If you find yourself thinking about money, pleasure, ambition, succeeding in life, if you find yourself thinking more about those things than God, what would you have me to do? Lord, what do you want to do with my life? Everybody's pulling on me. Everybody has their plans for me. I have some of my own dreams, but Lord, what would you have me to do? Then you need to listen. If I'm talking to anybody today and you would say, I make the same mistakes over and over. I don't know why I can't keep on money. I can't keep from turning off stuff I shouldn't watch. I can't keep from going where everybody else is going when I know I shouldn't go there. I, I don't think different. I don't talk different. What you're saying is I'm, my life is out of control. If that is true of your life, you need to hear what I'm sharing with you. But you claim to be a Christian. You claim to be born again. But if those things are still giving you problem and you keep repeating it, keep repeating, get out of one bad relationship into another bad relationship, please listen. If I'm talking to anybody that you think that because what's happening to you, God's trying to get even with you, you need to listen to me. God loves you anyway. You, he, God loves you. You can't do anything about it. And that's what gets a hold of us. Sometimes God loves us unconditionally. His heart breaks because he knows what I have planned for you, he says. They're good things. They're things that are holy things. I had this plan, but you won't let me do what I want to do with your life. So if you're still eaten up with guilt over past mistakes, please listen to me this morning. And if there was any of you here that once walked with God, you really want to come back. This story, this simple story has something good to say to you. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to paraphrase because of the length and it's only a, a brief note here. What he said that the road that leads a believer away from God is a gradual one. It's a gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signpost, we just start drifting. I've drifted far away from God, but now I'm coming home. So when we look at this story, here's a man, he had everything. You answer this question to show you how foolish he was. He had all the wealth, 
all the identity, all the accolades. He had everything anyone would dream of as a fantasy world, a father that loved him, and he chose to trade it in and go live in the hog pens. We see that on the news every day today. We see the most beautiful young people in the world, some of the most gifted athletes in the world just throwing their life away, throwing their life away because they can't get a hold or let God get a hold of their life and they just choose to go on and on and on. So it doesn't matter how dramatic your conversion was. It doesn't matter how sincere our intentions may be. It doesn't matter how saturated you may be with Bible doctrine. The question is, do you know the Lord Jesus personally and are you walking with him? And do you wake up every day say, Lord, what would you have we to do today? And so if we can just find out what God's up to and get in on it, good things are about to happen. So we're going to talk about why did we move away and what really life is like out there in the far country, what it's really like. You see, folks, I spend many, many hours, as does every minister of the gospel and every counselor with people who are living in the far country. One time they had that break, maybe while they were a, a student, maybe a teenager, maybe a child, but they had an opportunity and they were in a certain kind of home that we say is a good Christian home, but they rebelled. And now they're out there and they're struggling and they're trying to hold on to life and it's seemingly coming apart. And so we look at the devil and say, how do you go from a mansion to a pig pen? How in the world did you make that kind of decision when you didn't have to? Why did you do that? And why, folks, why is it that we that claim to be Christians are prone to wonder? Why are we prone to wander away from God? Why would we ever consider leaving the good stuff for the bad stuff? Well, it's original sin. Now the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin, but we're all born in original sin. And when we don't walk with God so he can help us deal with sin, we start in the flesh drifting and drifting away. If I mention the name Robert Robinson, most of you would not know who I'm talking about. I would frankly tell you, if you would have asked me before I was preparing for this sermon, do you know Robert Robinson? I'd have to tell you, no, I would not. Well, I want to read some words, see how quick you pick up on them. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. How many of you are coming around a little bit? Say, I think I know where you're going. Could I give you the second verse? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Listen, historical fact. When Robert Robinson was writing that hymn, he was going through an illicit sexual relationship. He knew it was going on as he wrote. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Maybe somebody's here today or somebody watching or listening. You say, you know, I'm really being tempted. 
I was baptized when I was a child or when I was a teenager or when I was a young adult or whatever. But there's something right now going on in my life and I feel myself being drawn away. I don't read the Bible like I used to. I don't go to church like I used to. I don't give like I used to. I don't serve like I used to. My morals are not what they used to be. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. See, it happens to us, family, brothers and sister Christians. It's one thing to look at the world that doesn't know the Lord, but it's another thing to look at each other and know Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And to live long enough to know that God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. Now, there's some reasons for that. I'll give them to you real quickly. Number one, and I'm not trying to defend us. I'm just giving you some facts. We worship an invisible father. You say, I've seen God. No, you haven't. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says nobody's seen him. You may have a vision of him. You may, you know, what people say, is he red, yellow, black, and white? You know, he's God. That's who he is. And one day we will see him face to face, but not right now. Now, back in the old days when the Bible was written and the apostles came along, they all followed Jesus because there he was. There he was eating, drinking by the seashore. They could see him. It's one thing when you can see your leaders. It's another thing when you can't. When he is invisible, then it becomes by faith. So we talk about getting into the closet, shutting the door. When you get in the closet and shut the door, you sure enough can't see something, even if it's in there with you. But the point is that faith is what we have to lean on until one day we see him face to face. And one day we will kneel at his feet. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you remember when, when Jesus left, the one that everybody was seeing? What did he say I'm going to do? He said, first of all, it's best that I go away. Why? Because you're going to need a comforter. Why are you going to need a comforter? Because you're going to be going through some tough times. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you a comforter. His initials are HS. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit. And he will lead you into all truth. He will speak to you. He will guide you. He will instruct you. He will protect you. He will comfort you. And on and on the list goes. But we have an invisible father. He's always there. But no one has seen him. One day we will. And you know what? We have a big tendency to follow what we see with our eyes. Won't you be glad when Wednesday comes and no more commercials for the election? I'm tired of looking at everybody else's sin. You know, I need time to get in the closet and look at my own. But we walk by faith. And the popular way to follow something is to see it. If I can just see it, then I will do it. But listen, John 14, 16. I pray to the Father, he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Always there, always present, always comforting us, always guiding us. But we have a invisible father, but we have an active opponent. Man, everywhere you go, the devil, the devil, the devil. I think it was Flip Wilson. He used to play the black preacher. Reverend Leroy, I think was his name. And they say, why did you do this? He said, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Well, that's exactly right. But why do you let the devil let you do it? 
all powers given to us in heaven and earth. We can go against the fiery darts of the wicked one if we just let go and let God take over. There is no excuse for us being led astray by an active, ongoing, powerful, wealthy, influential, good-looking, and very convincing opponent, Satan. Satan. The Bible talks about that. We are lured away. Lured away. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, puts it this way. Paul is writing, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. How evident is that today? Of course, we want to play the the blame game. It's always this one blames this one, this one blames that one. This may be you and this may be me. And we play a blame game. No, no, it's not that your mate doesn't appreciate you that you're having problems, so you're looking around. It's not because your parents abused you that you have decided to turn towards other instructors. It's not because your employer overworks you and underpays you that you have a problem down at the, at the office or at the factory. It's not that your friends have betrayed you and it's not that your church has ignored you. The fact is devil is out to destroy you and he will catch you alone every time he can. He will come upon you in an area that you never thought would happen. And it's up to you then as to what you're going to do. Now, Satan picked some weapons against biblical characters. For instance, he picked money to defeat Judas, 30 pieces of silver, and Judas betrayed the Lord. Pleasure to destroy David. Bathsheba came upon the scene and he sinned. He used ambition to defeat Adam, Moses, Eve. If you do this, you'd be like God. And he used all of them to bring down Solomon, the wise Solomon. So the devil just shot all three at him. The sea, the ground, and the air and destroyed King Solomon. All the devices of the devil, you can divide them into three categories. First John 2, 15, for all that's in the world. All right, here they are. You ready? The lust of the flesh. That's pleasure. The lust of the eye, that's money. The pride of life, that's ambition. It says it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world means that we are following an organized system of Satan. Satan is organized to wipe you and me out of the battlefield. He cannot destroy our soul. He cannot even take our life. Absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. So what he does is he destroys your influence. He takes away from you the opportunity you have to be living proof of a loving God to a watching worker, to a watching uh, teammate, to a watching student, to a watching person that you enjoy being around. He'll use whatever he can to get people's eyes off of the things of, of this world and turn their attention towards others and start blaming others and nobody looks up to him. Praise God from whom all blessings fall. And then the third thing, the Bible talks about the kingdom of this world. It talks about food. 
It talks about how the pleasures of food and, and how people want to be like God. But there's one final thing, and that's a fallen nature that we have. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me. How to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the laws of sin, which is in my members. Folks, we still got that sin nature. We still are tempted to look. We're tempted to listen. We're tempted to say it. We're tempted to try it. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the biggest, the biggest from my spot in the ministry enemy against our culture today is social drinking. I spend hours upon hours upon hours in dealing with people that believe that just a little bit won't hurt you. I weep sometimes because you're looking at a man that's dealt with it for 60 years. I could give you dozens, hundreds of stories of Sagemont members. I could name a dozen real quickly that are not here today. They used to be here every single Sunday and every one of them, it was social drinking. Every one of them. A little wine for the stomach's sake. 20 years ago, I preached a message on the case for total abstinence. And... Um, I would get letters through the years about that sermon, but I, did, I didn't know what, what happened to it. It was done on, oh, excuse me, students, it was done on tape, not CDs, it was done on tape. But uh, I got a letter from a person in Ohio and said that he had, he had heard that tape and that he had given up his social drinking 18 years ago. And he just said, I just want to say thank you. My whole life changed when I just got rid of that one thing in my life. Well, we took that thing and we put it on a disc. And if you want one of them, they're over in the, in the bookstore. There's uh, some that we've made available to you if you'd like to have them. But let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you, listen to me. You don't go from the mansion to the hog pen. There's steps along the way. And when you get involved in these steps, when the Bible says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever partakes thereof is not wise. And when you understand that if it takes three drinks to make you drunk, you're one third drunk when you have your first beer. Or when you take your first cup. And I spent some time with two men about three weeks ago that I knew years ago. Excuse me, I spent time with one of them. The other one was dead, but they were just like brothers. And I saw lives destroyed because of these two friends. Not understanding. You don't have to be a drunk. You just have to be able to just start smelling the hog pen and start moving towards it. And the first day, thing you know, the marriage is gone. The, the virginity is gone. The car wreck has come. The marriage has been dissolved. The child has run away and on and on. You see, folks, we're prone to wonder. We don't just go run and jump in. 
Just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And so today, as I close this message, I want to tell you something. We're like fish hitting artificial baits. And I know that a lot of you don't go to Bass Pro, okay? But you're still going to understand this, I hope. There is a fishing bait called a spoon, a Johnson Sprite spoon. It is a piece of shiny metal with a hook on the end of it. That's all it is. If you looked at this thing and you had never fished, you'd say, what in the world is that for? All you got to do is just run it by a redfish. And they jump on it. What are they looking at? What do they think that is? The same thing you think that sin is. When it says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, whoever partakes thereof, it's the same thing. And the Bible even explains it and you'll see it on the tape. You will see that there's three biblical words for wine. One of them is fermented juice, okay? There's a Hebrew word and there's another one that's just the fruit of the vine. It's all in the scripture. But what is this stuff? Why, if I just a little dab will do me, what happens? You jump on it. Then what happens? You're hooked. You're caught. No alcoholic ever became an alcoholic without starting out as a social drinker. None. But what happens if that's not your sin? There's others. Just a little bit. Just don't go to church every Sunday. Finally, it's just Easter and Christmas. I used to give every Sunday. Now I give a couple times a year, but we drift away and we drift away and we drift away. And all of a sudden, boom, the devil comes by and grabs us and watch out, watch out. Galatians 5 says, this I say, walk in the spirit and you'll not have to fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you really would like to do. You see, you have to learn to say no. You have to say, no, I'm not going away from my father's house. I am comforted in the arms of God. It was God that showed up when I got sick. It was God that showed up when I had death in my family. It was God that showed up when I was about to make the worst mistake of my life. And God began to move in our hearts and draw us closer and closer and closer to them. If you would ask somebody about an elephant, they'd tell you, yeah, they're real smart. I think if you'll study them, you'll find out elephants aren't smart, <clears throat> but they got a great memory. That's where they're smart. They got a great memory. You know how you train an elephant, these circus elephants? You get them when they're little and you put them on a stake and you put a chain around their leg. That chain may be 30 feet long. And when they get to the end of that 30 feet, that chain will hold that little elephant. After a while, he knows he can only go 30 feet. And so when you take it off, they just stay right there. They can find water in Africa that's 75 miles away. Got great memories. If you've ever been there, they can find it again. Let me ask you something. Am I talking to anybody today? That when God got a hold of you, he kind of closed in your boundaries for a while to try to help you to grow. And in your growing, you began to move on out and move on out. Well, it used to be this way, but now it's this way. Well, that used to not be, but now it is. And then you find yourself out there in the hog pen. But listen, folks, this is not a bad ending story. He came to himself. You hear the story? He came to himself. He said, I am going to make my own decision as a child of the father. I'm going home. He didn't expect what he got. 
Well, let me tell you something, folks. Some of the greatest Christians you know today came to the end of their rope one day. One day they came out and discovered, how foolish can I get? God did not call me to do this, and I'm going to come home. The father put the best robe on him, the ring on his finger. That was like getting an American Express gold platinum card and said, here, son, you once were my son. You ran away, but you've come home and I'm going to treat you royally because you're a child of the king. Folks, we're more than sinners saved by grace. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He wants you to come home. He will never withhold any good thing from those that love him. That's what he says. and never will. Whenever you come to that point in your life, when you say, I'm not going to be like the world, I'm going to follow God. God's going to take over. And you're going to be able to sing, what a wonderful change in my life has wrought since Jesus came in to my heart.